0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics
1: Podcast.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio, and welcome to CPAC's special coverage of Budget 2023. Now, as you just saw, we heard from the finance minister, Christian Freeland, just now. And let's break down what, uh, some, some of what she had to say with the key numbers, beginning with the federal deficit. Now, take a look at this. Projected to be forty-one percent rather $0.1 billion for fiscal 23-24, and dropping down to $14 billion in fiscal 27-28. Now, as for the federal debt, in 23-24, it will sit at $1.2 trillion, which represents about 43.5% of GDP, and by 27-28, $1.3 trillion, which would at that time represent 39.9% of GDP. In terms of net new spending, the budget outlines 45.6% billion from 2022-23 to 2027-28. And green technology, a big part of today's budget, technology investments of more than $80 billion over 10 years. So some of the key numbers that we heard there from the finance minister's budget. Overall, the government focusing on three big areas. One, the cost of living. Two, health care, much of which we already know about as the result of the first minister's meeting that took place uh, earlier in Ottawa. And three, a series of massive investments to secure a low-carbon future for Canada. Now, this is in order to be competitive as we witness a global shift away from oil and governments worldwide use incentives to attract private industry. We'll get into that a little later in the program. But right now, let's hone in on that first area of investment that I was talking about, the cost of living. As expected, the federal government used today's budget to announce a number of measures to help out Canadians who continue to struggle to pay for everything from groceries to housing. And to walk us through what has been unveiled today, let's bring in CPAC's Andrew Thompson. He is on Parliament Hill right now. So, Andrew, walk us through again what stood out for you. Hi, Michael. Well, yes, the
2: Finance Minister had signalled even before this budget that her measures would be targeted and temporary. So let's start with the cost of groceries. One of those new measures announced today is a boost to the GST credit for people in lower income households. This is a one-time payment aimed at high food prices. and. It's going up to a maximum of $153 per adult, $81 per child, and as well there's a supplement for single people who qualify. This is all based on income testing. Now, this would be paid out as soon as Parliament approves the legislation, and all told, it's expected to cost $2.5 billion. Let's turn next to dental care for uninsured Canadians. Of course, this is a key piece of the Liberal NDP Confidence Agreement. The government promising coverage will begin by the end of this year, and they're adding another $7.3 billion over five years. This is in addition to the 6000000000 billion they've already budgeted for this dental program. This budget is also pledging a new Oral Health Access Fund. This would target gaps in remote communities and gaps among vulnerable populations. Let's look at housing. That's a key uh, affordability issue in this country. The new tax-free first home savings account will be available as of this Friday, April the 1st. The government is also planning a new code of conduct for banks and lenders to protect Canadians with mortgages who are dealing with higher interest rates right now. This is uh, basically the intention to ensure people have fair access to uh, relief measures without unfair penalties or unfair fees. The government is also shifting some of its housing funding to boost new affordable home construction and promising a new long-term strategy for Indigenous housing. As well, some highlights for Canadian consumers in this budget when it comes to the everyday cost of living. The government wants to crack down on so-called junk fees. These are things like High roaming fees are those extra concert fees you're often faced with. This budget will also keep alcohol taxes slightly lower than planned for this coming year because of inflation. But on the flip side, the security charge for air travellers is going up. So for a domestic round trip, for instance, that means a rise from $15 to nearly $20. The government says this new money will help improve service and wait times at Canadian airports. Michael.
0: Okay, a lot to go through there, Andrew. Thank you very much. And just uh, to clear it up, April the 1st is actually Saturday for people who might want to begin those accounts. Now, a- in addition to the measures that Andrew just walked us through, the government uh, has also unveiled a series of new tax measures, and these will be aimed at Canadians who make more in what the government describes as creating a more fair tax system. And that includes the following. First, changes to the so-called alternative minim- minimum tax, and that applies to individuals, also, a global minimum tax that would apply to corporations, a tax on share buybacks. We know that has been an issue that's been raised. And a tax on dividend received by financial institutions, something that some groups have been calling for for some time. So the tax measures there, we can tell you, of course, this is minority parliament. So support from at least one of the parties will be important for the Liberals. And already we know that the NDP say they will be supporting the Liberal budget for various reasons. With that, let us take Take a listen to Jagmeet Singh as he spoke to members of the media on Parliament
3: Hill.
2: if you ever give this budget
3: a letter grade, how would you grade it? The grades are always a tough thing. I can say I'm really proud that we were able to force this government to expand dental care. That's going to save money for families. That's going to mean that they're going to be able to take care of their teeth. It's the biggest expansion of our health care system in a generation. It's truly going to be life-changing, and it's something that we're really proud of. That's going to really help Canadians in a real concrete way. And we're also proud that we forced this government to save people money, put more money back in their pockets with the GST rebate, which has been rebranded the Grocery Rebate. That's going to put money back in people's pockets. It's something that's going to make a difference in people's lives, and we're proud that we're able to do that. We're proud that we're, for the first time ever, ever, able to connect government investments to good wages that 's never been there before, having those strings attached that we 're going to give supports and incentives to tackle the climate crisis only if there 's guarantees for good wages, good pay, and support for union jobs like that 's something that 's never been done before and we 're proud of that we 're also on a, a number of areas not satisfied uh, that this government hasn 't responded to the urgency of the housing crisis that they haven 't Put in place changes to EI given that we're up against a recession so there's things that we're not satisfied by but we're very proud of the work that we've been able to do so
2: are you going to be supporting this budget is the big question
3: yes we'll be supporting the budget we're going to be supporting the expansion of dental care we're going to be supporting uh, giving people some money back in their pockets helping them save money we're going to be supporting the good wages tied to investments we're going to be su- supporting the relief that canadians deserve and that we force this government to deliver en en France, en France. En France. Uh, oui, on va appuyer ce budget parce que on a élargir les, les soins dentaires pour inclure uh, nos aînés et les, les enfants de moins de 18 ans et uh, uh, les gens qui vivent avec un handicap. On a, on a maintenant une, uh, on a forcé le gouvernement de continuer de doubler le, le, le crédit de la TPS. Ça va mettre plus d'argent dans les poches des gens uh, et on a pour la première fois lier les investissements dans les entreprises qui font face à la crise climatique avec des bons salaires. Donc, c'est la première fois qu'on a eu cette, cette garantie que les investissements doivent être liés avec les bons salaires. Donc, on est fier de ça. On va appuyer le budget. C'est
4: un oh, budget, oui. selon vous?
3: Donc, on, on félicite. On, on est fier des, des victoires qu'on a obtenues. Donc, on est fier du fait que uh, les soins dentaires sont là. On est fier de le fait qu'on a forcé ce gouvernement de mettre la plus d'argent dans les poches des gens. On est fier de tout ça. Mais on, en même temps, on n'est pas satisfait avec euh, les manques des actions pour la crise euh, du logement, les manques des actions pour euh, améliorer la science en plan. Donc, il y a des éléments où on n'est pas satisfait. Mais on est fier de ce qu'on a obtenu pour les gens.
5: Um you know, that we're in the agreement with the Liberals have been covered with the last two budgets. Where does this put you going forward in terms of leverage and supporting the Liberal government when most of the priorities are have been introduced?
3: We're proud that we've been able to force this government to deliver things. And let me be very clear, there would not have been dental care in this budget but for New Democrats. There would not have been an expansion or a continuing of doubling the GST tax credit, which is the, the grocery rebate, but for the fact that we forced this government to deliver that. There wouldn't have been connections Uh, There wouldn't have been uh, clear uh, ties between good jobs and investments in companies that are fighting the climate crisis but for new democrats so we force the government to do this there's a number of things that are still uh, that still needs to be done by the end of this year we still need to see anti-scab legislation we still need to see pharmacare legislation and we're going to make sure this government delivers those things as well by the end of the year what
2: about the lack of a mention of pharmacare in this budget Uh, that's a big ask for your party Uh, i know they have until the end of the year to produce legislation according to your deal but they didn't
3: even mention it in the budget well they they do have the uh, until the end of the year i want to be very clear we expect that, that legislation to be tabled by the end of this year and passed by the end of this year. That's according to our agreement, and we're going to force the government to do that. Um, they have until the end of the year, and we're going to make sure they do that. It's very important to us, and we're going to continue to put pressure on the government to deliver on that very fundamental commitment that we forced them to make in our agreement. Uh, but it's a fundamental commitment for Canadians who want to see Pharmacare happen. Can you the election?
5: The agreement with the Liberals, since most of the stuff was completed, can you, like, you know, yeah, I guess moving forward, come up with new priorities to support them to 2025?
3: So we have a number of things that are still outstanding that have to be done by the end of this year. We're gonna to continue to put pressure on the government to deliver on those things. And those things remain to be seen. So we'll, we'll continue to fight hard to make sure those are delivered, like pharma care, like the anti-scab legislation. And there's additional things that we fought for. One example of that is the GST rebate. That was not in the agreement. We pushed hard to have it delivered last year. And we pushed again to have it delivered again this year. So that's an example of something that we've been able to push for something outside of the agreement.
6: Any concerns about the deficit forecast in the budget?
3: We are concerned about making sure we spend in a prudent way. And there's certain things that we can't afford to continue doing. And we made it very clear we think it's irresponsible and something we can't continue to do to give billions of dollars to already profitable, profitable oil and gas companies. That's something we can't continue to do and we can't afford to do. We also can't continue to allow for tax loopholes that allow for billions of dollars of revenue to be lost so that we can't use that to invest properly in, in Canadians' uh, programs that they need. So there's certain things that, that the government has to stop doing that are irresponsible and are wasteful um, that we will continue to push for this government to stop doing. Does,
2: this does the budget do enough to fight climate change?
3: Uh, I'd say sadly not enough, uh, but the steps that are in the budget now are things that we force this government to do. So the fact that for the first time we've made this strong connection, that if we want to t- fight the climate crisis, we have to do that by creating good jobs and making sure people get good wages. We've done that in this budget. We forced this government to deliver on, on making sure there's strings attached, and I've been saying that for a while. We can't just give money away to incentivize the right decisions. We have to make sure that money is tied to guarantees for good wages and good jobs, and we've done that. So that's a positive step. There's still a lot more that needs to be done. This government's failed to meet any of their targets. They've got to take their targets seriously. We need to see real action to reduce emissions, and we'll continue to fight for that.
2: Will you trigger an election if the Liberals don't meet the PharmaCare plan by the end of the year?
3: That's not a decision we're making today, but but we want to make it very clear that uh, there are certain things that the government has to deliver by the end of this year. And the pharmacare is one of those. We want to make sure that's absolutely delivered by the end of this year. In this budget, we have forced the government to deliver meaningful things that are going to make people's lives better, save people money, and help them with their health care needs, like their dental care needs. That's something that we're proud of, and we force the government to do that. There's more things that we're going to continue to force this government to do by the end of this year. Is this the last
5: federal budget you'll support?
3: Uh, That is not, again, a decision we're making today. We are going to continue to fight for people. And our goal, like I've said always, is to force this government to work for people. People sent us here in a minority government. We respect that. We've been using our power to deliver for people, to save people money, to give people a break. Unlike the other opposition leaders and other opposition parties that have done nothing concretely to help people in this unprecedented, challenging time, we have used our power as the fourth party to meaningfully make a difference in people's lives. We campaigned on dental care. We delivered. We campaigned on making sure people got respect we delivered. We're going to continue to do that.
2: One issue you were pushing for was a national school lunch program to try and help with families struggling right now. It's not in the budget. Um, I know provinces like BC are looking at a similar program. But um, what's your reaction to that, A? And then, B, um, how realistic is
3: that when education is a provincial priority? I think it's a missed opportunity that the federal liberal government did not move forward with a school lunch program. It's something that we can do. We can partner with provinces, have the funding to make a commitment to work with provinces to deliver this. And again, while certain areas are clearly provincial jurisdiction, that doesn't preclude the federal government from working together with provinces to deliver on things like childcare. That's something that is not necessarily a federal competence, but we actually used our power to force legislation to make that child care agreement that the federal government was able to do permanent, we believe that 's something that the federal government can do. We can work with provinces to deliver meaningful help to, to people and, and that just because something is strictly a jurisdiction of the province doesn 't mean we can 't find a way to work with provinces to deliver that and The school lunch program is an example of something that we can do if we work with the federal uh, at the provincial with the provincial parties or provincial uh, sections to work to make sure that's delivered. It can be done, it should be done, and we continue to believe that that's something that the government should have done in this budget, but it didn't. of the
5: new spending is for, obviously, dental care. Are you concerned at all that Canadians are going to be upset with the NDP over, you know, this major spending that you did kind of hold over the Liberals to push through?
3: I think uh, Canadians are going to see a savings that they're going to realize. I think they're going to be... Uh, happy to see that uh, on average families are going to save at least twelve hundred dollars per year that's meaningful we're going to save families another five hundred dollars up to five hundred dollars by putting more money back in their pockets with the gsd doubling of the rebate so these are concrete measures to save money for people i think canadians are going to be happy with that and they're going to be happy knowing that they're going to be able to get their teeth fixed that's something that canadians are going to be happy with last
2: question do you think that we'll ever see an excess profit tax under this government
3: Uh, I'm concerned that so far the government has not really signaled an openness to doing that. And it's concerning because other countries around the world have acknowledged that that is a concrete way to tackle the greedy CEOs that are using inflation as cover to increase their profits. Other countries in Europe have put in place excess profit tax. We think that should happen here in Canada as well. It could happen with grocery store, massive corporate chains that are making record profits while charging Record prices for Canadians, and so we still believe that that is the right thing to do. Excess profit tax can be put in place, and and we'll continue to fight for that. Thank Thanks you so much. You on affordable Thank housing, you. what would you like to Thank see you. on we'll affordable housing? You. Thank you. Okay.
0: And again, that was the federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh reacting to the federal budget just tabled by Christian Freeland in the House of Commons. The big headline out of what we heard there is that the NDP will be supporting the government in passing this budget critical since this is a minority parliament although the NDP still has as we heard there some outstanding issues let's dig deeper now and bring in two senior economists to talk about the budget speech and the document Uh, Pedro Antunes is the chief economist from the conference board of Canada Angela McEwen senior economist with the Canadian Union of Public Employees hello to both of you So a lot to talk about here. But uh, you know, first, I want to begin with some of the numbers that we are looking at $40.1 billion, the projected deficit for 2324. You know, Pedro, I'm wondering if you're you are at all worried that the federal government does not seem to have a, a path back to surplus when you look at the five years that they've laid out ahead of us.
7: Yeah, it is a bit disappointing. I know that uh, part of the problem has been on the revenue side. We've got a very weak economic outlook for 2023, and that has hit uh, government revenues. And uh, we did know that uh, we were going to see more spending on healthcare. Uh, we do, you know, we also had some good indication that we were going to see something to try and compete uh, with the kind of uh, Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S., which was a massive program. And uh, I don't think we're anywhere near competing with that yet. Uh, so there are obviously pressures that the government has to face, but um, it was a bit disappointing to see that uh, we did have an economic, a fall economic statement, uh, a surplus by the time we got to 2027-28, which is you know, essentially five years down the road. Uh, and now we're still looking at a fairly sizable deficit in that year, and of course, you know time will tell where we will truly end up by the time we get five years down the road um you know and i guess part of the issue i have with that is that uh we're seeing uh still despite the fact that economic growth is is expected to slow we're in a, a situation of really full employment very low unemployment rates it should be fairly favorable here uh, for government revenues and you know in many respects we could Uh, be, uh, you know, living a a much better fiscal situation than we are.
0: Mm -hmm. Angela, do do you share the same concern? Because, you know, to hear it from the finance minister, uh, she does make this argument that Canada is doing better than other G7 countries. Uh, She says the deficit spending will be held to around uh, 1% of GDP, and really we're talking about one5 to to uh, 0.5%. What do you make of the argument that the government's making around spending? Are you worried that there seems to not be any type of plan to get us back into the black?
8: No, uh, I think that a uh, budget deficit or surplus is only part of the picture. Uh, you need to take into account uh, the cost of not doing anything in terms of some of the stuff that we're talking about spending on. Uh, and you also, I mean, five years out, as Pedro said, there's a lot of uncertainty here. We don't know uh, if there's going to be a recession this year or not. So I think that focus is is a little misguided. It really matters more. What are we spending on? Uh, are we spending enough to uh, make the impacts that we're talking about in terms of growing the economy, in terms of uh, improving equality? Uh, and and less on whether or not the forecast says five years out, we're in a, a surplus or deficit. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Now, there, there, there will be a lot of money going towards uh, affordability, health care, and the green economy. But I do want to talk about affordability here, first and foremost, because we were getting an indication that the government would be moving forward with this once the budget was tabled. There are incentives like dental care, uh, housing, those are longer term. But... There are also uh, these one-time payments from groceries and uh, and an anti-inflation payment as well. I'm wondering, Pedro, how meaningful will those really one-time payments actually be?
7: Well, I mean, they're, they're fairly sizable and they're right up front. Uh, you know, I think we're talking about, um, if I'm not mistaken, again, we've had a very quick look at the, at the numbers, Mm -hmm. uh, but somewhere around 2.5 billion, if I'm not mistaken, at kind of the one-time payment, uh, that's going into households' pockets. Uh, these are targeted, um, you know, they're, they're, they are targeted to lower income households. Uh, and in a way, you know, obviously that's, kind of dealing the money to where the pain is being felt the most. Uh, but when we look overall, you know, we did see the provincial governments with a lot of measures that they've put in place. Uh, the Quebec government in their budget just uh, uh, a few days ago announced, uh, you know, quite significant uh, tax cuts. Uh, and these are all coming in at a time when, you know, essentially the Bank of Canada is is trying to lower Spending essentially trying to hit consumers to get uh, essentially inflation down. Uh, you know we're talking about a soft economic outlook for this year, but that is the intent of monetary policy right now is to soften uh, economic activity so that we allow uh, inflation to uh, to settle settle back down. So uh, you know I think we need to be very concerned about when the, the the timing of some of this money coming into the economy and the fact that in you know essentially the, the Bank of Canada may have to turn around and well hopefully that's not the case. Facebook may have to turn around and deal with uh, a stronger inflation down
0: the road. Mm-hmm. Angela, what do you make of those payments? Uh, will they be helpful? Will they be? Will they actually harm the economy?
8: Yeah. So the grocery rebate is actually just a continuation of the GST credit, right? That's they're just giving it a new name, a bit of a branding exercise. There, it is a lot of money in total. It's very targeted. Um, And it's actually not a lot of money for the people who are getting it. When you are considering the amount of uh, costs increases that they're facing in terms of rent, in terms of of grocery, of food costs going up, these these costs have gone up by a lot more than that uh, for families. So it will help take the edge off. Absolutely. Uh, But it doesn't change anything structural. So there was a real missed opportunity in this budget to do something structural around corporate profiteering that has been driving inflation. They've done nothing on that. So of course, Uh, we're going to continue to see uh, corporations set prices higher um, because there's nothing to stop it. And the only tool we have, they claim, uh, is the Bank of Canada reducing demand, which, as Pedro points out, demand is money in our pockets, money in workers' pockets. Uh, So they want us to have less money so that we can buy fewer things, uh, and that's how they think they're going to control inflation. It's not working because inflation is a supply-side issue. Uh, and because there there um, isn't a lot of competition in uh, the Canadian market, a whole bunch of reasons why key uh, sectors have been able to raise their prices higher. Uh, and so workers and consumers are bearing the brunt of inflation and this budget had nothing structural to help people with that.
0: Well, I, I do wonder, when, when, and, I, and I appreciate that you guys have had a very quick look at it, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of wiggle room for the government, Pedro, in terms of uh, perhaps uh, dealing with a shortfall. What kind of economic outlook does this budget paint for Canadians?
7: Well, again, it's a very weak outlook, uh, essentially, we're talking about a, a small recession, possibly uh, most of the outlooks here, you know, I've talked to some of the peers that uh, the banks, etc, that are uh, contributing to the kind of uh, consensus forecast. Um, and we're all essentially looking at a, a similar story, some uh, deeper slowdown than others, but essentially growth flattening out. Now, we've had in fact, in fact very good numbers on uh, on the employment front. So far this year, you know, wages are now catching up to inflation. Uh, so. There's a, a concern that we may, in fact, continue to see fairly strong uh, consumer spending behavior, even though it had flattened out in the, in the latter half of, of last year. So I think most of the forecasts now are really looking at kind of flattish growth towards the end of the, <laughs> excuse me, towards the end of this year uh, into early next year. And so we have uh, two years, 2023 and 2024, that are looking rather weak uh, in terms of real economic activity. Um, Whether we actually succeed, and again, this is the intent right now of monetary policy, is to kind of flatten out that spending so that we can get, uh, you know, essentially inflation down. And I I would agree, uh, you know, a lot of the inflation pressures have been on the supply side. uh, But as we look forward, what is going to be kind of tenacious on inflation is the the wage growth that we have now, which is running at 5.2, 5.3%. That is going to start affecting the underlying core inflation numbers in this country, uh, and that may be tougher, in fact, to, to see that work and whittle its, its way back down to uh, to get inflation to the, to the target range, you know, between 1% and 3%.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I have a little bit of time left here, and before the two of you go, I also want to talk about uh, the green measures, if you will, because certainly that figures very largely in this budget, the government uh, relying on tax credits, also incentives essentially to get private industry to invest in the new economy. I'm wondering what you make of that strategy. Uh, Pedro, I'll begin with you because, again, we're talking about a host of incentives rather than becoming direct players in creating the economy of the future. What do you make of that strategy?
7: Well, I mean, you know, governments always hate to tax the uh, the kind of the the bad and and rather they prefer to incent uh good behavior and uh that can be more costly in in some ways, but uh, essentially that's what we're seeing in this budget. The measures uh over the next 6 years are not that massive. I mean, if we compare it to what was going on in the US, the Inflation Reduction Act which is kind of misnamed, but it really is an, an a green technology act um, that is, uh, you know, I, I think you know in total it's one point two trillion, but it's looking at four hundred billion U.S. dollars in in, in investment uh, incentives. So you know we're not anywhere near competing with that at the moment. I, I think in the budget, and again we haven't had a chance to look at it very in much detail, but I, I think there's a longer term plan for ramping up those incentives. Uh, but certainly over the next uh, six years, uh, I don't think there's enough there to to really uh, uh, generate a lot of uh, kind of green investments.
0: Well, you know, Angela, I'll, I'll get your opinion on this, too, because of course, the, the ghost in the room was the uh, Inflation Reduction Act in the United States and whether or not the government would have something to actually counter it. Will what you've seen so far, do you think, attract enough investors here instead of going south of the border?
8: I don't think we can win that game with the United States, and we can't win it on tax credits. Tax credits are a really broad and expensive way to try to to do this type of uh, incentivization of investments. Uh, Lots of people with lots of great experience in industrial policy have told the Canadian government this, leading up to this budget, that we can't compete with the United States on tax credits. Um, so, So it is disappointing to see that that was basically their whole strategy here. Um, and, and instead of leading with uh you know public investment in things that they want working with private uh, industry to to shape markets uh, for for private sector uh, green investment for example, a, a tax credit isn't going to incentivize a new company coming into a sector um it will mostly address people who are already, in the sector. And so we wanna encourage new companies, creative, innovative companies who are entering into the clean tech sector or are attracting new investment into Canada and tax credits just aren't the way to do that.
0: Well, a little later in today's program, we will take a deeper dive into those environmental uh, initiatives. But uh, Pedro, Angela, really thank you for the time today. Appreciate your insight. You had very little time to go through the document after it was released. So really appreciate you stepping forward today.
7: You're welcome, thanks. Thank you.
0: Well with that we also want to hear from the leader of the official opposition we already heard from uh, the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh but now let's bring in again the leader of the official opposition Pierre Poilievre also conservative leader as he reacts to the budget we know already he has been very critical of what he sees
9: Aujourd'hui la coalition coûteuse des libéraux et démocrates ont attaqué les chèques de paie et les pensions des Canadiens avec Des dépenses qui équivaut à peu près $4200 pour chaque famille canadienne. C'est, de, c'est des hausses de taxes, des hausses d'impôts et des hausses d'inflation. Le Parti conservateur a demandé trois choses que le gouvernement mette en place des réductions de coûts pour éliminer l'inflation, les réductions de taxes pour que les Canadiens puissent ramener davantage chez eux. Et troi- troisièmement, d'éliminer la paperasserie pour bâtir davantage de maisons et rendre euh, leur le logement plus abordable. Les libéraux n'ont rien fait pour ces demandes-là. Ça n'a pas de, gros, ça n'a pas de bon sens. Ça n'a pas de bon sens. Les Canadiens ne peuvent plus payer la facture pour cette coalition coûteuse qui augmente les taxes, les impôts et l'inflation. Et c'est pour ça que le Parti conservateur votera contre cette budget inflationniste. Uh, thank you very much uh, for being here today. Today's budget by the costly coalition of the NDP and Liberals is a full frontal attack on the paychecks of hardworking Canadians. It equals $4,200 per family in new government spending. That's more inflation, more taxes, and more costs for everyday people. There's no common sense. We asked for three things. The government should have brought home lower prices by eliminating inflationary deficits and carbon taxes, brought home powerful paychecks with lower taxes that reward hard work, and brought homes people could afford by getting rid of the government gatekeepers to speed up and lower the cost of building permits. Those are the three demands we put forward, and those three demands have not been met. This is an attack on the hardworking people of this country, and that is why Conservatives will be voting no. Instead, we will vote to bring home powerful paychecks, bring home lower costs, and bring homes that people can afford. It's common sense. Let's bring it home.
5: A big chunk of the money um, goes toward, obviously, dental coverage. This yeah. is not something that the government ran on as a mandate. What, what do you make of this, that you know, a, a, a huge amount of taxpayers' money is going toward this initiative when they didn't run on this issue?
9: Well, they didn't run on any of this. They've once again broken their promises, and they've poured fuel on the inflationary fire. Low-income, working-class people will suffer the most as a result of this costly, inflationary, liberal deficit. Conservatives will fight once again to bring home lower prices, by eliminating the inflationary carbon tax and deficits, bring home powerful paychecks, by lowering taxes to reward hard work and bring home as people can afford, by getting the gatekeepers out of the way to build millions of new residents affordable for our workers.
5: On the tax on carbon, on sait que le gouvernement fédéral veut maintenant lier les mains des prochains gouvernements pour
9: Impossible, impossible. Justin Veut forcer les contribuables de payer des grands montants, des milliards de dollars, aux grandes entreprises, aux grandes entreprises multinationales, si jamais un gouvernement futur réduit le coût de l'essence. Vraiment, c'est impossible. Un gouvernement poilier va réduire le coût de l'essence, de chauffage et de tout autre produit, et on ne va jamais payer des Des aux grandes entreprises qui sont des petits amis de Justin Trudeau. Why is that impossible? Why is, impossible?
5: Why is it impossible for him so to, create, just to, hear, to, let, just to compensate let, companies?
9: Let's just, let's just follow how out of touch Justin Trudeau is. Justin Trudeau believes Canadian taxpayers should make multi billion dollar payments to powerful multinational corporations if ever a future government should reduce taxes on gas and home heating. That's what he believes. He believes the little old lady who can't heat her home and pay for her food should have to pay higher taxes to fund a multinational corporation if in any event, in any future scenario, we should lower taxes on energy. That is an outrageous attack on our working class. Another example of Justin Trudeau taking from the have-nots to give to the have-yachts.
10: How how much
2: of this do you think is related to the NDP deal uh, that they have, and what do you think of the NDP saying, we're supporting this because we've gotten what we need out of it?
9: We have an NDP government that is running massive inflationary deficits, bankrupting households, keeping young people living in their parents' basements, forcing seniors to choose between heating and eating. There is literally only one party that is championing the hardworking people qui contribuent et qui font que ce pays fonctionner. Nous, comme conservateurs, nous serons combattre pour un Canada qui fonctionne pour les gens qui travaillent. C'est commonsense. Nous devons l'entendre.
11: L'équilibre budgétaire devrait se faire quand et de quelle manière?
9: Pardon? Le retour à l'équilibre budgétaire devrait se faire quand et de quelle manière? Mais tout d'abord, en arrêtant d'ajouter davantage de dettes, aujourd'hui, le gouvernement a annoncé une autre 67 milliards de dollars de dépenses Supplémentaires qu'on n'avait pas auparavant, des mesures coûteuses. Il faut arrêter d'ajouter. Il faut mettre un cap, une, il, faut, il, faut, il faut limiter les dépenses avec une loi qui oblige le gouvernement de trouver un dollar d'économie pour chaque dollar de nouveaux dépenses. Il faut éliminer le gaspillage, arrêter de donner nos no, no sommes aux euh, consultants et de, d'éliminer le gaspillage dans le gouvernement. C'est comme ça qu'un gouvernement poilier va éliminer les déficits inflationnistes et laisser davantage dans les poches des Canadiens pour que le travail redevienne on, on, foreign
1: interference, on foreign interference, there are a pair of measures in the
2: budget to try and deal with this. More money for the RCMP to investigate and liaise with diaspora communities and the creation of a new counter-foreign interference office. Is that enough in your eyes? Would you have liked to have seen more? And specifically, what more would you have liked to see seen in the budget on that?
9: Well, it's not just more money. We need a prime minister who protects our democracy. Uh, he, he, this Prime Minister was aware that the, 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 the ta- dictatorship in Beijing was interfering in multiple elections to help him get elected, and he did exactly nothing. What we need is a Prime Minister who will bring home control of our democracy to this country. This country should control its own democracy, not Davos, not Beijing. No one outside of the walls of our country should support should should determine what happens in our, our land, and I will stand up for our democracy. I'm uh, wondering if there's
12: anything in yeah. this budget that you
2: support, that you think will move Canada forward and will help Canadians when it comes to affordability.
9: No, there's nothing that will help with affordability. Everything in this budget will make, th- will make it more expensive to eat, heat, and house yourself. Uh, but there is uh, some positive proposals for First Nations that I'm glad that the government is uh, Plagiarizing, and I use the term favorably, uh, my proposal to give First Nations more control over their money, their land, and their decision making. There's a whole section on that that I think is very encouraging, and uh, we want to build upon that. Thank you. For
5: workers that are tied into um, these tax credits.
9: Well, the prime minister wants to tax people's paychecks more. That's an attack on workers, not a, a benefit to workers. So we, we believe in lower taxes that reward hard work. There's a war on work in this country. Right now, you can lose as much as 89 cents for either, every extra dollar you earn, uh, losses that come through clawbacks and taxes. When you punish work, you get less work. A polyev government will reform taxes and clawbacks so that people bring home more of each dollar they earn, and hard work pays off. Thank you very much.
0: And that was Pierre Poliev, the Conservative leader, leader of the official opposition, reacting to the federal budget, not happy with what he has seen. And we also want to, of course, get the government side on this. So we're happy to have on the program today Randy Bosano, Member of Parliament for Edmonton Centre, also the Associate Minister for Finance. Mr. Bossino, good to see you again. Thank you for joining us.
4: Michael, it's my pleasure. Great to be here.
0: And listen, I want to begin with some of the numbers here, in particular the national debt, because in the fall economic statement, you said you'd be back in the black by 27-28. But in today's projections, we're still in the red to the tune of $14 billion by that time frame. Has your government uh, abandoned the idea of a balanced budget?
4: Not at all, Michael. But what we are seeing is the fact that there's a slowing in the economy over the long term of this fiscal frame. And part of that is some of the uncertainty that we're seeing globally. And also some of it is the fact that If we're going to see inflation come down, then there needs to be a slowing in the economy, and that's the province of the Bank of Canada. And if you take a look at the last prediction of the Bank of Canada, Governor Michael, it was very clear that inflation should be at about 3% by the summer and closer to 2% by December. And so all of that is combined to make sure, to contribute to lower revenues for uh, our government. There are still measures in the budget to increase revenues, but what we're seeing is, is this erosion on the revenue side at a time when we made a commitment to Canadians to invest in healthcare to stabilize the healthcare system, when we're going to support Canadians who need it the most, who are feeling the pinch of that inflation. And thirdly, we're going to seize this generational opportunity to invest in an economy that's gonna provide tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs for uh, Canadians from coast to coast to coast as we create this net zero economy between now and 2050.
0: Okay, so, so you're choosing the spending versus cutting that back to meet the revenue shortfall, but you know, you're know this, you introducing this, this suit of affordability measures. They, they include that grocery rebate, this one-time uh, inflation relief payment, again, one time. How helpful will those really be when people's expenses don't stop, and inflation is is expected uh, not to, to get back under control until sometime next year.
4: Yeah, it's a really good question, Michael, and I think if we take a look at the, the two goalposts that we're trying to manage with landing this budget, on the one side, we want to make sure that as a government that we preserve and protect our AAA credit rating, and that puts us in the leagues of the United States, Germany, the Netherlands, Australia. So we want to maintain that because it makes, you know, it, it allows us to borrow at low rates, and it also sends a measure, a, me, a message to the world about how Canada is a good place in which to invest. The other side, though, is we want to make sure that the investments we're making do not stoke inflation. And so To do that, we had to be very focused on the measures that we have in place. And look, I can tell you a Canadian who's struggling with inflation right now, if they're able to access another hundred bucks or $470 thanks to the grocery rebate, they're gonna take that money and it's gonna be spent locally. And so the investments in the the net zero economy are real investments to attract companies from around the world to set up right here in Canada. And the reason that's a smart bet for these companies, Michael, is because when you set up in Canada, you have access to 1.5 billion consumers access to 15 free trade agreements, many of which we signed on our watch and so we are investing in people in the short term, we're investing people in the short to medium term with our health measures and we're investing in the long term for Canadians and for our Canadian economy by focusing on the clean tax credit, the manufacturing credit, the hydrogen credit and making sure that the world's companies come and set up shop here in Canada.
0: Okay, well, listen, let's, let's focus in then on your green invest, investments, because as you say, uh, securing a low-carbon future is what your government's aiming to do here. You also want to harness the economic opportunities right. of this, roughly $80 billion across 10 years. Is that enough to meet the challenge of the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, in your opinion? Because I just spoke to, to a couple of economists who, who think that the incentives really are not enough.
4: Michael, we're going to play to our strengths when it comes to uh, setting the table for the net-zero economy. And if, if you take a look at where, what we've done as a government since we, formed, since we became a government in 2015, well over $120 billion invested in greening the economy and getting to the point where we're now. And with what we see in the budget... We're going to be much closer to $200 billion invested over the next 10 years. And if you actually you know, scale that up to the size of the United States, it's a, it's a pretty big number and it's a pretty sizable investment that we're making here in Canada. And so I know that when you have a decision like Volkswagen to set up in Canada, and to produce a million EV batteries a year that's a big deal. When Air Products out of Pennsylvania chooses Northeast Edmonton to build the largest net zero hydrogen plant in the world, that's a big deal. When Dow wants to have a poly an ethylene cracker that will actually scrub 2 megatons of carbon out of the atmosphere, these are the kind of these are the kind of investments that we want to see happen in our own country. And so it's going to Uh, make sure that we are not only holding our own with what the United States is doing but quite frankly that we're welcoming the world to Canadian shores.
0: Mm -hmm. But there does seem to be this shift though and you know instead of uh, public investment there's now this heavy reliance of private industry to to build the the new economy and really again in in the conversation we had right before you we heard from economists who said if you really want to do this properly the government actually needs to get more skin in the game we need to have uh, public infrastructure more public involvement in this. Uh, What's your response to that? Are you confident that private industry will actually move in?
4: We are, and we're seeing it already with some of the examples I gave you, but just let's dig in even more, Michael. So if we want world-class companies to come and set up in Canada, there's one thing they want, it's access to amazing workers, which we have here. The second thing they want is access to clean electricity. Now, Canada's got a good reputation internationally. 85% of our electricity comes from clean sources. But, Michael, to scale and get ready for 2050, we've got to double or triple our electricity. And to do that, we're going to have to green the electricity grid and the Canada Infrastructure Bank through this budget has been authorized to invest $20 billion in the green electricity grid. And then there's another 20 billion on the table to make sure that we can actually green the electricity grid. If you come to my, my street in Edmonton Centre, four families could have an EV and, and you know, charge up that EV. But the fifth electric vehicle family, it would brown out the grid because there's just not enough electricity capacity. And that's the case from coast to coast to coast. So we are making generational investments right now so that we can scale the economy and have those thousands and thousands of jobs available to Canadian workers.
0: Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think the criticisms that we heard is basically this government invested in Trans Mountain, but in terms of the new economy are relying on private industry instead.
4: So let, let's look at let's look at the numbers because there's no government in the world that's going to be able to replace private sector investment. Even the IRA, as big of a scale of investment it is, some you know when you add it all up, it's about two trillion dollars. The there's a really interesting uh, statistic in this budget, which is that between now and 2050, there's going to be 100 trillion dollars of private invested investment contributed to actually getting us to the net zero 2050 future, that's like, that's like the world's economy for an entire year invested in just greening the world over the next 30-some um, you know, years. And the reason I mention this is because we are at a point now where Canada is demonstrating how with our people, our workers, what we have here is a functioning democracy, our critical minerals, and what we've already done as an investment. What's in this budget is going to set up very well to compete on the global stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly running out of time, I realize you need to move on, but I do want to ask you one more question because in, in part of the, this unveiling, your government is also de-risking uh, essentially investments by backstopping the future price of carbon. Uh, Pierre poliev was reacting to that, accusing your government of of choosing companies to make sure that they continue to get profits instead of allowing people to save some money by bringing down the price of carbon how do you respond to that look
4: michael it's been very clear we fought three elections on a price on pollution and making sure that canadians understand that the economy and the environment go hand in hand contracts for difference is all about making sure that we unlock the money that are in private sector coffers right now to make the investments into carbon capture use and storage and to work with us to green the economy. And they want certainty for the price on pollution over a long time frame. Contracts for Difference are a way to make a, uh, a statement that if you're investing now and you see $170 of the price on pollution, pollution into the future, that you're going to be guaranteed that that's actually what you're going to uh, see in the future. And for us, Contracts for Difference is about unlocking tens of billions of dollars of private sector investment to build the economy of today and tomorrow.
0: Randy Bosno, again, thank you very much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Now, as I'm sure you gathered from that conversation, much of the money announced today does focus on this decarbonized future for Canada, in particular creating investments to prepare this country for green industries as globally the world moves away from fossil fuels. And for Ottawa, that includes essentially these pillars. First and foremost, pollution pricing and regulations, investment tax credits, which will apply to priorities like further developing clean electricity, clean hydrogen, and carbon capture financing as projects and investments could be backed by the Canada Infrastructure Bank and the Canada Growth Fund, and targeted programming, which would go to things like the Strategic Innovation Fund and Low Carbon Economy Fund. So those are the pillars. Canada, of course, have, has been talking about transitioning the economy for years. But with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, again, that's the one in the United States, there is now greater urgency to the matter and to talk about the green initiatives in the budget. We're reaching out to Brett House, a professor of professional practice at Columbia Business School and a fellow with the Public Policy Forum, Monk School and Massey College. Brett, thank you for joining us again today.
12: Good to be on with you.
0: Now, of course, one cannot ignore, as I said, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act when we look at this budget, because really that's what many people were keeping an eye out for. From what you've seen so far, does this budget create a competitive plan to, to essentially attract investment north of the border?
12: Well I think it does over the next five years. it provides twenty one million dollars in billion dollars, I should say in support uh, through about three billion dollars in investments in the Canadian electricity grid system and then around another seventeen billion of of tax credits they're meant to incentivize investments in clean manufacturing. Uh, Hydrogen related investments and clean electricity generation. And I think that sets uh, a tone that is a reasonable balance between the left that's calling for direct government investment or activities and running uh, clean tech in the sector and those who are concerned about gatekeepers. This is, in fact, getting the gatekeepers out of the way and letting the private companies that can do these things best do them.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, you you mentioned the the clean electricity grid and uh, there was mention of that more than once in this budget. And I'm wondering just how much larger does that grid have to be in order to attract investment?
12: Well it's not just a question of investment, it's a question of greening Canadians activities because as Minister Bosno pointed out, if we are going to shift to greater electric vehicle use and greater use of electricity in heating our homes and powering our manufacturing, we are going to need a bigger and more robust grid that can respond smartly to changes in demand and that can integrate different types of electricity generation and storage peak and uh, lower demand periods. So that is a smart investment and one that we can't look to the private sector to do in a comprehensive way across Canada right now. So it makes sense for public dollars to be going into that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Canada already uh, gets what more than 80% of, of its electricity from green sources or clean sources rather. How much of an advantage is that in particular when compared to the United States? Because of, of course, the IRA still does figure large.
12: Uh, It's a huge advantage in terms of uh, potentially positioning production in Canada for global markets where Canada is fortunate, as Finance Minister Freeland mentioned, to have free trade agreements with uh, countries that cover about two-thirds of the world's consumers. So to the extent that trade restrictions or tariffs are going to increasingly reflect or insist on clean or green manufacturing techniques, Canada is going to be well-positioned to continue to position products coming from our manufacturing sector into markets around the world
0: hmm. I'm also wondering what you might draw from from what seems to be a difference in strategy. And, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, because when you when you look at the United States, it seems that uh, the IRA rewards industrial output w- with its green initiatives. But Canada seems much more focused on encouraging private industry to, to help build capacity. Does that difference in strategy point to anything that we should be aware of?
12: Well, the U.S. strategy, which amounts to about $400 U.S. dollars, is matched in some ways by the scale of the Canadian initiatives outlined in this budget. We're about a tenth the size of the United States, and in terms of the initial uh, investments in credits and direct spending, we're at about… Uh, 5% of what the IRA brings forward, if you pull in other elements of the Canadian policy framework, such as our uh, carbon tax pricing system, we at least meet what's in the IRA to encourage uh, greener greener and cleaner production here. Um, There is an emphasis here, though, on encouraging and creating the environment for clean manufacturing and clean investment, And I think from an economist's perspective, that's a good thing because it leaves the the exact details on what's produced, how it's produced, and the most efficient way of doing so to private sector actors. And one of your earlier commentators noted that this wouldn't benefit startups. That is clearly incorrect when one reads the budget. These tax credits are refundable which means that any spending from this point forward is going to be captured by these credits and eligible for them. So startups, new entrants, companies coming from abroad uh, and investing in Canada would all be possible uh, beneficiaries of these credits.
0: You know, I was speaking to to an economist inside the budget lockup, Brett, and and he was talking about how this budget, environmentally, has a lot of carrots, but not enough sticks, in that it may not be able to, to, to really direct the kind of investment Canada wants to be seeing here. And it was interesting to hear Joe Biden last week, it was during his joint news conference with the Prime Minister, because he said Canada would mine critical minerals but the U.S. would be the ones producing products. How concerning should that kind of comment be for Canada if what we're trying to be is is a country of more than just drawers drawers of water, hewers of wood? Uh, Are there enough sticks to make sure we get the kind of outcome we want in this country?
12: Well, I don't know that sticks are the right approach. Uh, We could have provided more carrots here for refining and uh, value-added activities on top of mining activities. There are uh, substantial commitments here to encourage uh, around three, three to four billion uh, Canadian dollars of commitments to encourage mining of rare earth and other specialized minerals and metals that are necessary for the green transition. Uh, what we might have seen and consistent with the fears piqued by Joe Biden's comments is some further support for uh, further refinement and uh, integration of those minerals and metals into final products here. Uh, The gaffe by President Biden really did speak to uh, decades if not centuries of Canadian insecurities that are rightly felt.
0: Okay, Uh, Brett, always good to speak with you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today.
12: Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, with that, let's go back to the foyer of the House of Commons right now, Parliament Hill, as we hear from the NDP finance critic, Daniel Blakey. Mr. Blakey, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Now, we, we did hear a little bit of your leader earlier on, and obviously there are things that the, the party, even though it's supporting this budget, the party still sees some shortfalls with this budget. What are they in particular?
13: Well, uh, there's a couple of things I would mention right off the top. One of them is employment insurance, and we're hearing from private sector economists, and even in the government's own forecast, that Canada is headed toward some degree of recession. We know that recessions result in a higher rate of unemployment. And we know that when Canadians are unemployed, they turn to the employment insurance system to make sure that they can still cover the bills. The uh, government had to massively overhaul the employment insurance system during the pandemic because it wasn't up to snuff. They've been promising EI modernization for seven or eight years now, and they haven't haven't delivered. So this definitely is the time. Um, There's no better time, except earlier, to have brought about this uh, EI reform package. And there is no mention or sign in the budget, not only that it's about to happen, but that it's going to happen anytime, anytime soon. On housing, uh, New Democrats fought very hard to get an investment uh, uh, for a for indigenous, by indigenous housing strategy. Um, But that's really the only substantive investment in housing. And we certainly believe and know that we need to do a lot more in the housing space, both in terms of public investment to actually have you know a publicly-led building of new units that are affordable or social where the rent is geared to income. But there are also things that we could be doing to help nonprofits compete in a really difficult real estate market to try and maintain current affordable housing stock like having a nonprofit acquisition fund and taking other measures to try and slow the financialization of housing that has already been going on for far too long and has been driving incredible price increases that now have simply priced too many Canadians out of the housing market altogether.
0: Mm -hmm. So housing and EI reform. You you know, uh, Mr. Blakey, can we go back one step? Talk to us a bit more about the EI reform. What would that actually look like to to, to prepare uh, the economy and really uh, to protect Canadians if and when the the economy actually goes into this downturn?
13: Well, I think, you know, this is even easier to talk about and even easier to understand uh, as a policy area for a lot of Canadians coming out of the pandemic because they saw a lot of the changes that stakeholders are calling for, that workers are calling for to the employment insurance system are things that we saw during the pandemic. So one universal qualifying threshold for hours, you know, how many hours you have to work right now under the old system that we've reverted back to. Depends where you live in the country and the amount of uh, qualifying hours uh, could be as high as 900 hours. Whereas during the pandemic, it was as low as 420 hours. and so. Uh, we really think that having that lower universal qualifying threshold is important to make sure that less people fall through the cracks of the EI system. The, the income replacement rate is only 55%. During the pandemic, there was a minimum benefit of $500 a week, regardless of what your income uh, had been. 55% is just simply too low. even you know, for for all kinds of workers, if you're a lower wage worker, 55% of not much is not enough to live on. If you are a, a worker who's fortunate to have a higher paying job, and you're laid off in the context of a recession, um, you have bills to pay that are predicated upon what you were making before. And suddenly having 45% less income makes it really difficult to make that mortgage payment or that car payment, or to go in a grocery store in this in this time and be able to get enough groceries to feed your family. So both in terms of the replacement rate, the idea of a minimum benefit, a lower universal qualifying threshold, these are all things that massively improved the system. And there were things that people had been calling for for years before the pandemic. We saw that it was possible during the pandemic. And it's what Canadians need now. The Liberals just canceled those temporary measures. In September, we had always thought that it made no sense to cancel those measures without replacing them with a more substantial EI reform. And it was to our shock and dismay in September that the Liberals tore up the temporary pandemic EI measures and still haven't replaced them. And in the budget, I think we see really have no plan to replace them. Anytime soon, despite the fact that they're, that they're warning of recession.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, two priorities uh, for the NDP, of course, uh, both a national dental care program as well as a national pharmacare program. Uh, we saw more movement with dental care, in fact, really evolving to be a larger portion of health care in this country. I, I want your reaction to that, but also your reaction to the fact that we didn't hear a lot about pharmacare in this budget.
13: In fact, there was no mention of PharmaCare in this budget. Mm -hmm. Now, that wasn't a surprise in that the 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 Supply and Confidence Agreement only requires that we get enabling legislation in place by the end of the year. So we're not at the end of the year. That's not a monetary commitment, so we wouldn't have expected to see spending for PharmaCare in this budget. It'll be a different question once that legislative framework is in place, and then we can talk about how to get that up and running. Obviously, there'll be conversations with the provinces required in order to set that up properly. But on dental, you know, this is, this is really big news. This is, a, this is a huge breakthrough that's gonna mean that millions of Canadians, seniors, people living with disabilities, children under 18, who up to now haven't had any kind of dental coverage at all are now gonna be able to go and get their teeth fixed and not worry that that means they're not gonna be able to pay their bills at the end of the month. And that is uh, that is a really big deal, both in terms of the human impact of being able to get that done, but I hope also for the imagination of Canadians who have been told for decades that no new major social program is uh, possible, that, that people who wanna see us Work together and more cooperatively as Canadians in order to make sure that everyone has access to basic services. Are just kind of pie in the sky uh, socialists who don't understand how to run a program or what's what's actually possible. I think this shows that big things are possible when we put when we put our mind to it and when we muster the political will to get them done. And so it, it is a very, very exciting development and something that we're very proud of in the ADP. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, I have about a minute left with you and I realize you have a busy day. But before you go, I do want to ask your reaction to, to the environmental incentives put into this budget, because as acknowledged by the government, here we are at this global inflection point where, where the decisions made now can determine the economic future of this country. Uh, what's your reaction to, to the, the host of packages uh, introduced today?
13: Well, I think it's good to see fa- Canada finally taking uh, making an effort to really get in the game on this. I think it's late. You know, this is the kind of investment that we've been calling for for, for well over a decade now. And, you know, and up to now, the, the government had been willing to invest. I mean, they're now $30 billion into the TMX pipeline. Our point has been if we made investments on that scale, before, instead of dumping it into the TMX pipeline, we could be in a much more competitive position right now as the world uh, embarks on this on this big kind of economic moment. Um, so it's good that Canada's getting in the game now. It really seems to be the, the IRA that pushed the government into getting it. Our contribution was really to insist, above all, that when public funds were gonna be invested or given to companies in order to locate their 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 investment here and their and their business activity here, that workers got a fair share of that pot by having jobs that are, that are that are tied to, um, to the prevailing union wage that includes benefits and pension. And so the language in the budget today is is really an outcome of the NEP pushing for that kind of language and trying to put workers at the center of this transition to a new energy uh, economy to ensure that they're not, that they're not getting left behind. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about the kind of clean tech investments in this in this budget is that they really put workers at the center and really make it an obligation of companies if they want to get the full tax credit to make sure that they're treating their workers fairly and that they're paying them appropriately for the work that they're doing.
0: Daniel Blakey really appreciate the time today. Thank you.
13: Thank you very much.
0: Oh, with that, let's hear one more uh, reaction here from the uh, leader of the Bloc Québécois, Yves-François Blanchet. He too is in the foyer of the House of Commons, taking questions from reporters. Let's listen in.
11: bonjour. Vous êtes disproportionately nombreux pour le poids de ce budget, parce qu'en effet, c'est un budget qui est assez mince. On parle depuis longtemps d'inflation. On craint depuis un bon moment une récession qui pourrait frapper l'économie canadienne et l'économie québécoise, et on arrive avec un budget qui est à très peu de choses près, un copier-coller de l'énoncé économique de l'automne dernier. On va disposer tout de suite de certains éléments fondamentaux. Nous avions déjà établi que nous n'acceptions pas l'entente entre Ottawa et les provinces et le Québec, que les provinces et le Québec ont été obligés d'accepter, sinon c'était rien pas tout et qu'elles n'en avaient pas les moyens. Pour nous, les transferts en santé tels qu'ils ont été négociés sont inadéquats et à défaut de rencontrer la demande des provinces et du Québec à hauteur de 35 %, nous ne sommes pas satisfaits. Il n'y a absolument rien dans ce budget pour les aînés de 65 à 75 ans pour aller rejoindre leurs collègues de 75 ans et plus, ni même une augmentation digne de ce nom, incluant pour les gens âgés de 75 ans et plus. Il n'y a aucune réforme de l'assurance-emploi, aucune bonification pour les gens qui cotisent et qui n'ont accès à rien, c'est-à-dire 60 % des cotisants du régime d'assurance-emploi, il n'y a rien du tout. Il y a par contre une illustration extraordinaire du déséquilibre fiscal. L'année dernière, le gouvernement a accumulé en crédits périmés, en sommes qui avaient été budgétées et qui n'ont pas été dépensées, environ 40 milliards de dollars. Or, il dit cette année qu'il fait un déficit de 40 milliards de dollars. Comprenons-nous bien, une chose annule l'autre. Et dans les faits, le gouvernement fédéral veut annoncer des déficits. Deuxième élément fondamental, il utilise le déséquilibre fiscal, donc les sommes, la marge que ça dégage, pour faire des investissements à caractère énergétique, lesquels peuvent s'avérer des cachettes pour de l'éco-blanchiment. Le mot « éco-blanchiment » est d'autant plus pertinent que ça passe par des crédits d'impôt dont on ne saura pas qui a bénéficié. Il y a donc des sommes qui iront en séquestration de carbone cette lubie qui ne fonctionne toujours pas. En hydrogène gris fait à partir des hydrocarbures de l'Ouest canadien et caché dans les investissements pour les énergies dites propres, un financement vraisemblable pour le nucléaire qui, dans le contexte canadien, n'est pas une énergie propre. Il y a donc une part significative d'une somme de 21 milliards de dollars qui ira en soutien indirect par crédit d'impôt aux entreprises pétrolières. » Grâce à ce fameux déséquilibre fiscal qu'on peut expliquer simplement en ceci, que le gouvernement perçoit trop d'argent en taxes et en impôts par rapport à ce que sont ses obligations gouvernementales, alors que les provinces ne perçoivent pas assez d'argent en taxes et en impôts par rapport à ce que sont leurs obligations. Le gouvernement annonce ainsi que dans de 30 à 40 ans, il aura éliminé la dette fédérale au complet. Alors que, selon le directeur parlementaire du budget lui-même, dans de 30 à 40 ans, il y aura des provinces canadiennes en faillite et les finances de l'ensemble des provinces canadiennes se seront détériorées détériorées, à un niveau irrécupérable. C'est grâce à ce procédé que le gouvernement fédéral centralise et littéralement achète des pouvoirs qui sont aux provinces. Dernière observation, c'est un budget qui n'est pas à caractère électoral, mais c'est un budget qui met dangereusement la table pour que celui de 2024 soit résolument à caractère électoral.
14: J'ai demandé au premier
5: ministre quelle note il donnait à ce budget-là. Il m'a dit « à plus ». Vous, vous donnez quelle note à ce budget-là et pourquoi?
11: Je ne peux pas commenter la pertinence précise de l'exercice de mettre une note, mais est-ce que c'est une note de passage? Non, évidemment. Je lui mettrai un « E » parce qu'il ne réussit pas. C'est un budget qui ne tient pas compte de la réalité économique et qui se dit ça va se replacer tout seul, l'inflation. On va sauver de la récession, sinon on verra éventuellement. Il a un avantage, c'est une marge de manœuvre significative en cas de pépin, mais il ne met pas en place les mesures préventives qui permettraient à l'économie du Canada et du Québec d'être prêt en cas de récession. En ceci, c'est un budget a courte view, which doesn't demand enough time of planification, tellement it's mince. I've seen the budgets at the National Assembly of Quebec, where the pupitres are carameled on the poids of documents that we give. There are few documents, and they repeat.
12: Will the Bloc support the budget, please, sir? No. Why, why not?
11: Because we said that we would not support a budget that, w- that would not uh, acknowledge the fact that the provinces in Quebec need. 35 percent of the total budget in healthcare to support the system and make it minimally good enough for the services it has to provide. With this budget, it is clear that this will not happen. If we take the example of Quebec, about one billion dollars a year will not make a difference in a budget that is already of something like 72 or 74 billions dollars, billions of dollars a year in healthcare. So it is not significant and it is not enough and it will not justify our support.
0: And again, that was Yves-François Blanchet, the Bloc Québécois leader reacting to the budget. And as you heard, he will not be supporting what was tabled today. Well, with that, we also want to share with you a conversation I had earlier today with David McDonald. He is the senior economist with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. I asked him for his reaction to the budget released today that we were reading in advance during the budget lockup. David, let's begin here with affordability measures. We, we were essentially, we, we had the idea that this would be one of the priorities for the government. When you look at the affordability measures, will they
1: make an impact? Well, it's pretty thin. We're seeing this uh, renewal of the GST credit under the guise of a grocery rebate. Uh, This is just a straight amount of money that's going to appear in people's bank accounts in April or May. Uh, This is certainly going to help folks, uh, especially since it's more targeted to only people who receive the GST credit, which are going to be lower-income families and individuals. It'll help them spend on whatever they want. It says groceries in the label, but you can spend it on whatever you want. This will be helpful for for some folks, Uh, but some of the broader issues around affordability... Uh, Housing affordability in particular have not been particularly addressed in this budget. I should say that the child care plan introduced in the 2021 budget is already having an impact on prices, so this is one way that governments can directly impact prices, is take programs over and reduce their costs. Uh, The dental care program that's coming up is another example of that, where at present it will offset costs, it's a cash transfer right now, next year it will be more like dental insurance. Uh, and the other piece, uh, the, the Canada Housing Benefit, which was also introduced in the fall, again, is a cash transfer that could be used for people.
0: Yeah. Well, let's pick up on a couple of those points, beginning with housing, because on the one hand, you are looking at this, this housing credit, certain programs, but does it really create housing when you're talking about affordability for people who need it?
1: There's been a big push uh, via the National Housing Strategy, which has been a real signature piece of this Liberal government, uh, to try to build more housing. Unfortunately, at this point, the situation is dramatically different than it was a year ago. A year ago, we didn't see these much higher interest rates. And so no matter how hard the federal and provincial governments push for more housing to be built, particularly on the private sector side, the Bank of Canada is pushing right back the other way, constraining the construction of new houses so that private developers aren't interested in building those houses because people aren't buying them on the one hand, but also because their costs have gone up a lot because interest rates are much higher. And so if we want to build new housing now, and particularly in the coming years, this will be really federal government direct expenditures in many cases to get those, to get those projects built. We haven't seen that, uh, that realization, I don't think, in this budget.
0: Now, let's pick up on dental care, though, too, because what is very eye-popping is just how quickly that is developing into a national program.
1: That's right. So dental care was introduced. At present, it's just a cash transfer for the rest of this year. The real change in this budget is flushing out some of the details and updating the costing on what this will look like as a fully blown insurance program as it will become at the end of 2023. And I think as we take a look at this year's budget, it becomes clear that this is morphing into a major part of Medicare in Canada. It is, uh, it is certainly coming in. It was beefed up in this budget in terms of how much will be spent on it over the next couple of years. And so this is gonna be an important support for lower income families uh, that don't otherwise have dental care through their work, which is often where people get it. And so I think that this is an underappreciated part of this budget is how much dental care is morphing into you know, an important part of Medicare nationally. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, uh, interestingly, the three buckets that the the government has identified here, one is affordability, the other is health care. The third pillar here, the third basket, is environmental investments, and really this is a reaction to the uh, Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. What do you make of the measures introduced by the government to try to counter that, to make sure investment comes to this country rather than to
1: the U.S.? So the Canadian approach is a different approach than the American approach. So we're offering more upfront refundable tax credits on investment. So in essence, a third of a big variety of clean tech projects, whether it's battery manufacturing or clean electricity, will just be straight up paid for by the federal government now. Uh, These are big investments. Unfortunately, what it does is it really takes the hands off the wheel and hands the car over to Corporate Canada to decide whatever they'd like to invest in. That's fine. The federal government will pick up, you know, 20 to 30 percent of the tab. It's not entirely clear that Corporate Canada is interested in a wholesale transition away from the way they do business now. It's possible. Um, but this handover of responsibility to the private sector uh, may well come with uh, some regrets later on if the uh, transition isn't as fast as, as we might want it to be
0: certainly something that we'll be watching uh, as we go through the years but you know i also before we're done here get your thoughts on the projections from the government you know in the last uh, economic statement in the fall we we were looking at perhaps going back into the black by 2027 2028 there does not seem to be a path towards a balanced budget in this document does
1: that concern you any way that no one's talking about a balanced budget here that's right, so, so we don't see the budget balance at zero at any point in the, in the projections out to the five-year mark. If you project it slightly further out, you could probably get there. Um, I think that the main takeaway here is that the deficit in general is relatively low as a percentage of GDP. We're at about 1.5% by the end of the five-year mark, will it be about half a percentage point of GDP. This is relatively small. Uh, You know, you see a small uptick in growth and all of a sudden you get into a surplus position. You see a downtick, maybe gets up to 1%. But these aren't huge deficits in the grand scheme of things. I think one of the biggest revisions that we saw in this budget was particularly in terms of growth in 2023, in this year, a big downward revision there. Uh, And so I think what that means is the government is actively now anticipating a recession this year. Uh, If we look at their unemployment projections, uh, it looks like at present they're projecting about 200,000 jobs being lost over the course of this year as a result of this potential recession. So we'll certainly see whether that in fact occurs, but that is being built into the planning as of this budget.
0: David, thank you very
1: much. Thanks for having me.
0: And David McDonald is the senior economist for the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. I spoke to him while we were in the budget lockup, going through the documents. Now, beyond the numbers, beyond the policies and the promises are, of course, the politics behind the budget today. And to talk about that a little bit, we're now joined by Bill Curry, Deputy Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail, and Ajud Amaliz, economics reporter for the Canadian Press. Hello to both of you. Oh. So, Bill, I'm going to get you to start us off here because, you know, I- I'm wondering what you make of this budget less about the specific policies but about the impression that the government's trying to make the message that's trying to send with was with what was unveiled today
6: Well I think the core message is absolutely is uh, positioning Canada for the green economy and the backdrop that Christian Freeland presents is absolutely I think everybody would agree lots is going on here especially with our neighbors to the south with major investments on the inflation reduction act they're spending hundreds of billions so Canada's going to have to respond in some way this is the government's answer to that there's also you know geopolitically the US, other countries want to decouple or lessen their dependence on China. So, this is all part and parcel of that message. This is how Canada is responding to that global political environment. Of course, there's also domestic politics as well, because this is the government that's in an agreement with the NDP. And so, there's parts of this this budget that is about securing their support. And we saw as soon as the budget was announced, it was successful. NDP leader Jugby Singh's ready to. Support this budget because of the spending on dental care uh, primarily.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Najud, what, what do you make of it? What do you make of the message that the, the government is trying to send? And, and I guess, really, whether or not they're doing it well.
14: Yeah, I mean, I think Bill's point about uh, this budget focusing on positioning Canada in the global stage on clean economy is a main focus. Um, I, I also think that they are very concerned about um, presenting fiscal restraint, as they say, to Canadians. They've been attacked a lot for for their spending, and and they're going to pitch this as uh, them being fiscally restrained. Now there's some varied views on that point. But at the same time, I think they understand that this budget had to also provide at least something to Canadians that gives a nod to the affordability pressures um, that are, many people are facing right now, and that was namely through um, the extension of the boost to the GST rebate, along with some other um, small measures as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and I apologize. We've just started our conversation, but I'm going to put it uh, on a pause for a second because we've we've actually been waiting for the conservative finance critic, uh, Jasraj Singh-Halan, and he joins us right now. Mr. Singh-Halan, good to see you again. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me again. Great to see you as well. Yeah, yeah. I interrupted a conversation for you just so you know so, so <laughs> thank you for you. doing this uh, listen um, uh, we already heard from your your leader uh, he, he, your party is not going to support this budget what stands out as problem points for you Uh, Look, this NDP Liberal budget
10: was a full frontal attack on the hard workers of this country. We had three simple demands. The first was to bring home more powerful paychecks. That means lowering the the taxes on them so people can take more home and have the freedom to choose where they want to spend their own money. The second was to bring home lower prices. This means getting rid of the job-killing carbon tax and other regulatory burdens. And then the third was to bring home more affordable homes for our young people and others. Today we have a housing crisis and more and more young people are getting boxed out of being able to afford a home. None of these things were met. And what we see is that the, uh, the finance minister, who said that she didn't want to pour more fuel on the inflationary fire, literally with a $40 billion inflationary uh, deficit, has poured a jerry can of inflation on that inflationary fire. In what? The affordability measures? Is that what you're referring to there? What I'm referring to is that, the, that the, how much more cost there's going to be. All these measures are going to make paychecks less because they're going to take more and in, in more taxes.
0: Well, we, we certainly know that uh, one issue that your leader has taken... Uh, uh taken a point against has to do with the fact that in this uh, green initiatives, the Liberals are essentially saying they're going to backstop the carbon price. What impact will that have? You mentioned it a bit, but dig deeper into that. What does that mean going forward? Look, this uh,
10: this is actually a slap in the face to those people that are barely getting by and being able to afford energy today. It's taking money away from those seniors that are having to pay more or turn down the heat in their homes because they can't afford to heat and eat at the same time. That are literally wearing blankets. And it's giving their hard-earned paychecks multinational companies. This is absolutely unfair. We need to get more powerful paychecks, we need to bring down the taxes, get rid of this job killing carbon tax that's made the cost of gas, groceries and home heating more, more expensive. And this Saturday, Justin Trudeau will pile drive that cost of carbon tax even higher on Canadians. This is a government that says on one hand, we understand that Canadians are suffering. But then on the other hand, this Saturday, they're going to uppercut Canadians with a higher cost on carbon tax, making everything more expensive.
0: Now, if I may, when, when, the, when we speak to government sources about this, they essentially point to the fact that if you want to actually have companies, private firms, invest into green industries in this country, part of backstopping the carbon price is giving them a stable uh, backdrop to, to insurance that essentially the economic uh, and environmental policies of this country will not change in the short term and thereby giving them some type of stability. Uh, how do you respond to that?
10: look there, that won 't create stability. The problem after eight years of Justin Trudeau is Canada has become more and more uncompetitive on the world stage we 've seen after eight years of how much investment f- fleeing from this country and when we talk to the uh, business in uh, the business uh, industry. They have two concerns. One is government regulations or what we call the gatekeepers. Those those are what keeping people from investing in Canada. The second is economic uncertainty, which the government has fueled. They've put up bills like Bill C-69, like Bill C-48 and the job-killing carbon tax. With these regulations, we have not been competitive. Canada is 64th when it comes to permitting. That, for a company that wants to invest in Canada, doesn't look very appealing whatsoever. And we need to have a better tax structure. We need, to bring, we need to get the government gatekeepers out of the way, bring home more Canadian jobs and better Canadian paychecks for our people. And we can do that when we get rid of these government regulations. We need to be able to support our people and make sure that their paychecks go much further.
0: I, I'm wondering, as you talk about uh, attracting more investment and creating more Canadian jobs, are you talking about the same goal here as the Liberal government in terms of creating new jobs for the new economy, one that is more green and less dependent on the oil industry. Uh, look, we can do both things
10: at once and we don't need the government to be able to do that for, for uh, industry. Industry knows which way they need to go and they, need to, they know how to bring down emissions. Let's take a look at the record of this uh, liberal government. I mean, they introduced a carbon tax. They haven't been able to reduce emissions and they haven't met a single emission reduction target that they set for themselves. Yet they've made the cost of gas, groceries, and home heating more expensive, and they're gonna raise that price on Saturday. On top of that, they've made Canada more and more uncompetitive. So less investment is coming here, less Canadian jobs. These, the Liberals have, have started a trend of more of a pay, as, pay to play, and
0: that's very dangerous. It doesn't keep Canadian jobs, and doesn't create good investment in this country. Before we are done, I do want to ask you another question. Moving away now from the, 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 the environmental and the economic policy here, there's also in this budget investment, greater money for the RCMP to tackle foreign interference. I'm wondering what your reaction to that is.
10: Look, we've had eight years of Justin Trudeau, who has done absolutely nothing about foreign interference from to the dictatorship in Beijing. What we need to do is get serious about that. Justin Trudeau has allegedly known about interference that's been taking place, but he didn't say anything because it helped him. It helped him in previous elections. And now that that more and more allegations are coming out, he needs to take this seriously. We need to not just resource our, our RCMP and CSIS, we need to actually have action taking place. We've been calling for a public and independent inquiry so Canadians can know that, that, the, that democracy is upheld in this country. Right now, under Justin Trudeau, he has eroded trust in our democratic institutions. He
0: has not taken this thing seriously,
10: and it's because it helped him during the election.
0: Okay, I have to be clear here. When you say that he didn't share it because it helped him, that's the allegation the Conservative Party is making that's not been confirmed by any authority. That, that, is, that is definitely what uh, the outcome has, has helped Justin Trudeau. Jazraj saying, Halan, I always appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And here's the Conservative Finance Critic. Well, with that, we, I do want to pick up our conversation again, as we were originally speaking with Bill Curry, the Love Mail, and Jude maliz from the uh, Canadian Press. Uh, let's pick up the conversation, because we were talking about the message that they were trying to send. And both of you raised uh, the, the the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, the, the IRA, uh, because that really was uh, the backdrop of this. We are all waiting to see what the the, the, the Liberals would do to try to address that massive uh, green investment from the U.S. How well do you think the Liberals did? Will it be enough to take investment out of the U.S. and come to Canada instead?
6: Well, I mean, we'll see over time. And as uh, David, the economist was saying earlier, I mean, it's, it's a lot of this is driven by the private sector. So are they going to want to use these tax credits and make these investments in critical minerals and that kind of thing? So we'll have to see on that. I think uh, it's interesting to the back context of this, because Canada has gone ahead with a uh, carbon tax, essentially price, carbon pricing regime. And they would much have preferred to, for the US to do something similar. And instead, the US has gone a completely different direction with a very subsidy-heavy approach. So. Canada's really trying to make their own plans kind of fit with that, and it's an awkward fit, so we'll see how it goes. Mm
0: -hmm. Najud, what do you make of the the initiatives? Again, mainly, we're talking about uh, regulation, we're talking about the carbon tax, but also this package of, in terms of this budget, uh, incentives and tax credits.
14: Well, I think there are definitely being positioned as a way to keep Canada competitive. They're not exactly the same kinds of um, incentives that the U.S. is providing, namely there are no production tax credits in in this budget, which the U.S. is offering. Um, These are more focused on incentivizing investment. So yeah, there's still a question of how this plays out. Um, There's also a question about uh, contracts for difference, which are supposed to guarantee the price of carbon in the future, uh, and I think you know the federal government talked about that in the budget but there are really no details there and that's going to be something that the industry is going to be paying a lot of attention to moving yeah, forward as
0: well the conservative party as we as we just yeah. <laughs> heard as well but you know what's interesting about this approach as well and again this is different from the subsidy heavy approach of the United States is that in in bringing out these 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 tax credits really what the liberals are doing here is turning to private industry and relying on private industry to build the, the economy of the future for this country is that a wise move? Should there be more direct government involvement? What do you think, Bill?
6: Well, I mean I think economic theorists would say, you know, sure it's best to have a hands-off approach and let the market sort itself out. But when you've got your neighbor you know offering billions of incentives. or so we saw the, the situation with Volkswagen, right? And and they've agreed to, to put a plant on electric vehicles in Canada, we still don't know how much they're getting for that. The budget reference that it's in the fiscal framework somewhere. You just can't sort it out. So maybe in a few weeks we'll find out what the number is. But it's very large, and you know when other countries are offering those incentives, these plants could go elsewhere. So these are the calculations of like, you know, what's pure economic theory versus the reality of uh, you know you've got the Europeans, the Americans offering these companies big subsidies, and they will. the companies will go where they can get the biggest buck. So uh, so that's the, kind of the political reality that the government's trying to fit.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about political messaging now, because, of course, the budget's <laughs> unveiled now. Uh, we, we have the initial messaging. What do you expect to see in the next few weeks ahead as the government sells Canadians on, on this plan?
14: Yeah, so even though that there, isn't, there are a lot of missing things in the budget in terms of, for example, housing, um, the federal government did address affordability in certain ways. They had certain measures for students. Um, They're moving ahead with dental care. I think they are going to rely on uh, these measures, some bigger than others, to say that they are addressing um, main concerns for Canadians. But like I said, one major gap I think in in the messaging is going to be around housing. Um, And I'm sure the government's going to lean on previous announcements from Budget 2022 on that, but uh, I think that's still top of mind for many Canadians.
0: Mm-hmm. Bill, what will, you, what will you be watching out for?
6: It'll be interesting to see how the Liberals message this dental care program, because I think one of the surprises today is we learned this is a lot bigger uh, program in terms of a cost than we might have thought. It was originally budgeted for about $6 billion, now it's gone to $13 billion. The NDP, obviously, this was their idea, so they're going to promote it. Do the Liberals want to try to make it their own, or are they Going to just let the NDP have it. I mean, there's going to be some questions, I think, over the cost and, and how this launches because it's a pretty aggressive timeline. And clearly, there's a lot more take up on it originally than, than they had, had previously thought.
0: Okay. Well, we are watching a busy day. Uh, we are all in lockup. <laughs> Budget, not criminal. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Curry. Najuda, Maliz, thank you very much for the time today. Well, as we say, thank you to both Bill and Jude. We also want to talk about Christopher. Freeland again. Uh, of course, we began today by hearing her delivering the uh, budget uh, speech in the House of Commons, but in that budget lockup, uh, Ms. Freeland also took part in a news conference with members of the media. We want to play a bit of that for you right here on CPAC. Take a look.
7: Minister, you're planning to find... Then- Alors, Madame la ministre, vous avez parlé
10: de 7 milliards de dollars sans affecter les services aux Canadiens, sans les transferts aux provinces. Alors, comment est-ce que cet argent va arriver? Est-ce que ça implique de faire des renvois d'employés? Merci pour la question, Dylan. Non, ça ne l'implique pas. Alors, ces économies vont venir...
15: Des um, and I think that those savings are eminently attainable. I also think that it's the right thing to do because we needed in this budget to find a balance, a balance between continuing to invest in Canadians, to invest in affordability for Canadians who are feeling the pinch of inflation right now, to invest in health care, including a historic expansion of healthcare to include dental care, to invest in building the clean economy of the future and the jobs that go with it. And at the same time, it's really important for us to continue to be a fiscally responsible government to maintain that AAA credit rating. And so finding that balance, I think, quite appropriately involves the government taking a look at how we do things ourselves and doing it a little more efficiently so that we can afford to continue to invest in Canadians.
7: Uh, And Minister, dental care was never part of your electoral platform, and now the startup costs and the ongoing spending are both higher than you had originally planned for. Uh, Why prioritize this massive spend on dental care instead of other priorities that you actually ran on?
15: Um, You know, I have to say, Dylan, I am really, really proud uh, to be an MP in a governing party, to be a minister in a government that is expanding dental care to cover all Canadians. I remember as a kid growing up, you could tell whose parents didn't have a lot of money by the state of their smile. And I think that's a horrible thing. Uh, And so, actually, I think it's really right and appropriate for dental care to, like all the other health care Canadians get, to be something that you get when you need it, not based on the size of your bank account.
14: Thanks, Dylan. Next question.
15: Les hauts fonctionnaires
5: ce matin nous disaient que c'était un budget de
8: choix, des dizaines
5: de milliards de dollars en nouvelles dépenses. Alors peut-on vraiment parler de choix dans ce budget
15: Absolument. Pourquoi on a, on a fait trois grands choix investissement dans l'abordabilité pour les Canadiens parce qu'ils en ont besoin aujourd'hui. Deuxièmement, les investissements dans la santé, incluant à les soins dentaires et troisièmement dans la création de l'économie propre du 21e siècle. Ce sont les trois grands piliers et oui, c'est une choix de vraiment avoir une budget axé sur ces trois priorités. Vous parlez de transition verte au Canada, on le fait en
5: grande partie en réaction euh, au plan vert des États-Unis qui a été euh, adopté en août dernier. Est-ce qu'on n'aurait pas eu avantage à agir plus tôt? Est-ce qu'il n'est pas au fond un peu trop tard?
15: Euh, Avec beaucoup de respect, je dois vous dire que je ne suis pas d'accord avec vous. C'est le Canada qui a commencé ces actions très, très fortes pour bâtir l'économie propre. C'est le Canada qui a mis une prix sur la pollution. Une grande, grande décision et une des décisions les plus importantes de notre gouvernement. Et le Canada a commencé avec cette décision de faire des grands investissements chaque année, avec chaque budget, dans la transition verte, dans la création du, d'une économie propre du 21e siècle. Vra- évidemment, on a ajouté des mesures dans ce budget et c'est la bonne chose à faire. mais. Si je peux me permettre, ce sont des autres pays uh, qui ont décidé de suivre l'exemple du Canada.
12: very much. Next
6: question. Yeah, Mr. Ryan,
16: Templety, National Post. Uh, in the fall economic statement, you were predicting five years out a four and a half billion dollar surplus. You are now predicting a fourteen billion dollar deficit, and overall, you're adding about fifty billion dollars mm-hmm. in new debt in this budget over the next five years. I'm wondering why you made that choice to add so much to the national debt right now. Um, what were the economic circumstances that drove that decision?
15: Um, so, first of all, Ryan, and I apologize for being a little bit pedantic, um, but Canada's budget is not based on my predictions or the predictions of the economists in the Department of Finance. A very good and sound practice uh, that Canadian governments have had since the early 90s is to base the economic forecasts that form the baseline scenario of Canadian budgets on the average of the forecasts of private sector economists. And, you know, when I look sometimes at the budgets of other countries and I see the way there's a real debate about the economic baseline and the way governments can put their thumb on the scale, I think it's really important to be clear with Canadians. And look, I know everyone in this room is a specialist, but I think it's important to be clear with Canadians that that baseline forecast is entirely objective. And the information on the economists whose forecasts we use to build the baseline is in the budget. So it's not my prediction. It's not Michael Sabia's prediction. These are the averages of the predictions of private sector economists. So that's point one. Um, Point two, why did we choose basically the budget that we have today? Um, And I would just say, you know, we had three things in mind. The first one was, what do we need to do for Canadians today? And I am ready to take on anyone in this room or outside this room who wants to challenge the idea that we needed to make a targeted and temporary investment in affordability for Canadians. It's something we needed to do. There are vulnerable people in Canada who need that support, and so that support is there. Number two area of focus in the budget, healthcare and expanding it to dental care. Again, I am ready to take on anyone who says, the federal government shouldn't have done that. Yes, it's a lot of money. It is a significant investment. And every single healthcare worker I have spoken to, every single nurse, every single doctor, every single personal support worker, has said to me, you needed to do that. I believe that our universal public health care system is at the heart of what it means to be Canadian, the federal government has stepped up to provide more support. It is now in the jurisdiction of the provinces and the territories to deliver an improved health care system. We have done our part. And again, yes, it was expensive. And it will be expensive, but it is 100% worth it. And you know, I challenge anyone to try to make the case publicly that that was the wrong thing to do. Third, area of investment, building the clean economy of the 21st century. Again, here, I really believe we are at a turning point. President Biden was here in Ottawa on Friday. He said this is an inflection point of the kind that you encounter every five or six generations. I think he's right. We see the Americans are there, investing in building. The Europeans are there, too. And Canada has to be there as well. And again here, I feel that a failure to put forward a comprehensive, effective, and adequately financed plan to build the clean economy of the 21st century would mean consigning Canada to deindustrialization. And I sure am not going to be a member of the government that makes that choice. So, we really thought about what are the pressing, urgent priorities of this moment facing Canadians today. And our view was those were the three priorities. At the same time, we know that fiscal responsibility matters. We know that maintaining Canada's AAA credit rating matters. We know that not adding fuel to the flames of inflation matters. And so we have found a path to invest in these three priorities while absolutely maintaining a fiscally responsible budget. And I'm gonna give you guys a proof point. Take a look at the deficits of every other G7 country and you will see that Canada's budget deficit in a year when our economy is slowing, and a year when we are making these important, significant investments is the lowest in the G7. That, to me, is a very powerful proof point that we have managed to find a really challenging balance between three essential investments and fiscal responsibility.
16: On your dental care plan, there's been considerable confusion today. We've heard different things from finance officials and PMO officials. It's clear that you are bringing in the plan this year. Is your intent to also expand the eligibility um, all the way out to what's considered in the Confidence and Supply Agreement to to everyone, or is this year's eligibility only gonna be certain ages and groups?
15: Okay, so the dental plan is a really big deal. Um, It's a huge, and I believe, Necessary um, and I think um, something we should, pre- necessary expansion of health care, and I think it's something we should be really, really proud of. It does cost a lot of money. Um, we have seen the costs of that plan fully accounted for in the budget this year and in the fiscal framework. Because it's complicated, we are going to be rolling it out step by step by step. We've already covered kids under 12, and we're going to be rolling it out to the other groups in a phased approach for people earning $90,000 and less. One thing I want to emphasize here is delivering an entirely new aspect of the Canadian healthcare system is not a cakewalk. It's challenging, it's complicated, um, and so that's why we're taking a step-by-step approach. But I am really confident that this is the right thing to do for Canadians.
0: Thanks, Ryan. And that was just a bit of the finance minister, Christopher Freeland, as she addressed members of the media earlier today. This was, in fact, ahead of her speech in the House of Commons, delivered that news conference during the budget lockup, where members of the media, like myself and others here at CPAC, were able to read the budget ahead of time. Well, we'll have more coverage of the federal budget for you right here on CPAC. Uh, For now, I'm Michael Serapio. Thank you for joining us. Up next, Esther Béjean avec L'Essentiel.